Welcome back to The Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about learnings from video. Roddy was telling me about his latest encounter with Craig. It had happened on Zoom. Roddy said, Right at the beginning, when he first started in on me, I had my same old reaction. My heart rate jumped like Craig was right there in the room with me. Craig was the head of the private equity firm that owned the company where Roddy was CFO. One goal for Roddy's coaching had been to master his panic response to Craig's bad behavior. Normally, Roddy would only see Craig four times a year at board meetings. But now, with the pandemic and the downturn, Craig was agitated. Roddy and his CEO were having to report every week. Roddy's panic response was getting a lot of exercise. Roddy said, You know what saved me from full-on panic this time? Being on video. If I had been in the room with him, I think I would have been as panicked as ever. My brain would have been screeching away at a million miles an hour trying to figure out how to defend myself. But not on video, I asked. No, not this time. I could have spoken up and defended myself. I could have taken myself off mute. But I could see he wasn't going to stop talking for a while. I suddenly just relaxed. I stopped preparing my defense. And in a snap, it looked completely different to me. Different how, I asked. From a distance, I guess, he said. Craig was suddenly this little yapping head in a little window on the screen of my monitor. He looked like he was having a tantrum. And that was what occurred to me. He was a three-year-old pitching a fit. There was no reasoning with him. He wasn't rational. The best thing I could do for myself and for the company was to make sure I didn't become a three-year-old myself. I remember thinking, well, huh, I guess I'm the grown-up in the room. And the panic went away. Because you were on video, I asked. Well, that sure helped, he answered. Look, I think I've been better with Craig anyway. The coaching has given me a lot of tools. But, yeah, being on video made it different for me. So what's the end of the story, I asked. What ended up happening with Craig? Oh, well, I was on mute, you know, he began. So I did a little pantomime for him. I picked up my pad so he could see it, and I made it plain. I was taking notes. I wanted him to know... I was taking him seriously. And, I asked. When he ran out of steam, I told him I would get with his two team leaders and we would address his concerns, which we did. What did they say, I asked. Oh, they didn't share any of Craig's concerns. It was all fine. Roddy, this sounds like a real success story, I said. Congratulations, I'm really glad that happened to you. So how do you make sense of this new experience you're having on video? What's one takeaway? He laughed, saying, I knew you were going to ask me that. I've actually thought of three takeaways from that little encounter. Great, I said. So first is about that timeout. Being on mute made me slow down. It gave me distance I've never felt before. I could step back and not get stuck in my old reaction. I said, a mindfulness moment. Yes, he said, it was. Now, I've wondered, will I be able to hold that distance when I'm back in a room with him again? You know, I won't have a mute button then. 
No, I said, but you could be just as mindful. <laughs> That's true, he said, I could. And then he said, my second takeaway, it's still about distance, but it's different. It's a good news, bad news thing. Okay, I said. Well, the good news is that on video, we all get reduced, right? We all become little talking heads inside a little Zoom window pane. When Craig got reduced that way, he wasn't particularly threatening. That's the video giving me distance, and that's the good news. But, I said, but the bad news is that if he gets reduced to a little head inside a little Zoom box on my screen, then I become a little head on my team screens, or anyone's screens when there's more than a couple people. I ask myself, how do I make an impact when I'm shrunk down to a postage stamp? What have you come up with, I asked. Well, it depends on the setting. If it's my meeting to lead, well, I have always worried about keeping people's attention. That was on my radar even when we were in person. When attention flagged, I could see it, and I could change the tempo. I was pretty good at keeping people's attention, but now, man, it's hard to read the room, don't you think? I do, I agreed. Roddy continued, sometimes what I'll do in meetings is I'll ask a question, and then I just wait. A long time, I'll put myself on mute. There can be long silences, but I'm willing. I will wait. And then he shrugged and made a face, as if this isn't all awkward enough. I laughed. No kidding. He said, other times I move it along. He snapped his fingers. I drive the agenda. I tell a tight little story. Then I push us right into the work. Not a lot of silence in those cases, at least not at first. It sounds like you think a lot about pace, I said. Do I? I'm not sure. What I do think about is this model for meetings that I have in my head. D-A-I. I prompted him, which stands for decision-making, action, information. In every meeting, at any minute, you're doing one of those three things, D or A or I. I said, oh, I like that, Roddy. It's nice and simple. You hadn't heard it before? No, I said. Well, for me, it's old. I've been using it for years. I think it's even more important now on video. I do think it helps hold people's attention when they know if they are doing D or A or I. He took a breath. <sighs> do you know something I've noticed? What? I asked. I am way more annoyed on video than I ever was in person. Not all the time. And not even so anyone would notice, but, oh, boy, now and then I sure feel it. What kind of things annoy you, I asked. Oh, let's see. Oh, how about Anne-Marie? I have asked her more than once to please not be backlit so we can see her face. But yesterday, yesterday I couldn't see her face at all, and I just don't really want to ask again. That annoys me. Hmm, why do you think she isn't listening to you? I don't know. Maybe the internet slowed down when I asked. <laughs> Both times. You don't think she's just trying to piss you off, I said with a smile. Well, whether she's trying or not, I am annoyed. What about Craig, I asked. Is he trying to make you panic? He smiled, saying, you know, until the other day, I used to wonder. I said, will you play a game with me? Sure, he said. 
Okay, Roddy, this is an imagination game. Okay, he said. Okay. So imagine yourself talking in front of a group, maybe one of those conferences you go to. A room full of chairs set out row after row, seats are filled, and you're talking in front. All eyes are on you. You with me so far? Yeah, he said. So you're about 10 minutes into your presentation, and it's going great. And suddenly this woman, right in front, rattles something under her seat. You look over, she pulls out her purse, stands up, and walks out of the room, straight up the middle. There is no way anyone misses this woman walking out. And the door bangs behind her. I paused, and then I asked him, What do you think just happened? Why did that woman walk out? Roddy shrugged, saying, The information wasn't relevant to her. <laughs> oh, I said, that's a different answer than I'm used to. Why? What do you usually hear? Well, this is a game about whether you take something like that personally, right? So I usually hear people say one of two things. Either they say things like, she hated me, or she thought I was boring. They make sense of what happened by making that woman's story about them. They take it personally. He laughed, Instead of like, she left because she had a kidney infection, or she had to answer a call from her second cousin, something that has nothing to do with you, right? Right, I said. He said, my answer was sort of in the middle. It was sort of about me, or about my information at any rate. Well, I didn't hear it that way, Roddy. I heard it being completely about her. But I do think, I do think that's what's shifting with you about Craig. I think you're taking his tantrums less personally than you used to. He considered that. Yeah, I stayed as a grown-up. I didn't take it personally. I, that's exciting. And then he said, I want to play that game with my daughter. I think I know which side she'd come down on, but I'm not sure. How old is she? I asked. Twelve. What do you think she'll say? I think she'll feel that woman walked out on her personally, but I could be wrong. At our next session, he told me his daughter had surprised him. She had responded with a kidney infection sort of answer. He was glad. He felt her optimistic bent would give her a better shot at the look and sound of leadership. I want to pick up three threads from this episode, and I want to share a little gratitude too, of course. Here's the first thread. On this first thread are two ideas, and they are both about meetings. First is the DAI tool. Look, I think when you are putting together an agenda, you should check and make sure that every item has either a D or an A or an I next to it. It's either decision-making, taking action, working together to create something, or information. Let me tell you how I picture using this. So suppose you are in my meeting and I say something like this. Okay, Heather's about to give her usual report, but this month, the information is going to be radically different. Please remember, reports are just information. We are not being asked to make decisions, and we are not being asked to take any action. It's just a report. Okay, now what would you think if you heard that in a meeting? Would it be helpful? I think it would be. 
I think everybody is a better participant at that point, and the meeting is way easier to facilitate from then on. So that's one thing about meetings on this thread, the DAI tool. And the DAI tool you can apply to any meeting, online, in person, but this next idea only applies to meetings on video. It's a tool to help keep people engaged because that is a problem on video. And here's what I think of it as. Encourage crosstalk. Encourage crosstalk. What does that mean? It means make people feel welcome to toss in a comment, ask a question, like would happen naturally. To develop crosstalk, everyone has to agree to adopt good audio etiquette. So what is good audio etiquette? I think there's two behaviors in it. One is that you put yourself on mute. That's your responsibility. You do that. You default to being on mute in big group rooms. But number two is you can jump in any time. Throw in a question. Throw in a comment. Be ready. Have your finger on the button. Lean in. It keeps people engaged. There is a group that I facilitate. I, we've been working together now for about three years, and we have gotten really nimble. People stay engaged. And this is a group of about 50 people. We've gotten good at it. So I encourage you, give it a try. Whew, first thread, all about meetings. Meetings were never easy, right? But now they're harder than ever. The second thread is about a population. And it is a population that I have simply never talked about on this show, not once, not once in 12 years. What population am I referring to? Children. I am recording this in July of 2020. The pandemic is nowhere near under control, and I think a lot about the children. Even before the children, my heart goes out to the parents, particularly parents who have to work. Wow, I am talking with many of you. I know you, and... I know how hard this is. You are winning medals every day. And I wonder about the kids. I wonder how the children of today as a cohort will display this trauma as adults. What will their profiles be? Will they be more resilient? Will they be more fearful? Look, every individual is going to be different, of course, but there are going to be waves and trends And it is fascinating to think that we could help push that wave or trend one way or another. If you're living with a kid who's 10 years old, or 12, older, certainly, you could play that game with them. Kids get that game. And their answer today may have nothing to do with their answer in six months or two years, but that's one of the gifts that we give our children, right? We are the holders of their history. I mean, just imagine if you asked your kid today about someone walking out on them, and you asked again in a couple years. You could observe them being very consistent, or you could observe them changing. There are lessons in, in both, right? And you could share your observations. I want to tell you there's another imagination game that you can play. This is such an interesting thing to talk about with your kid. Ask them to imagine themselves when they were four or five, maybe like at preschool, and then explain to them the marshmallow test. The marshmallow test was this brilliant little experiment with kids in the 1960s. And then it became this long-range, longitudinal study 
of kids who went down one of two paths, and the results were really powerful over time. I explain the entire marshmallow test in an episode from 2014 called Self-Awareness and Self-Management. Go listen to it. It's really fun. Or look, just look it up on the internet. It's famous. But be sure that you read the long-term results. What's my point? Why am I talking about the marshmallow test? I'm encouraging you to engage your kids in thinking about themselves at this moment in time. And you can give them situations to imagine. Kids are completely willing to imagine, right? In the midst of this uncertain world, it might be nice to see how they picture themselves. That was all about children. That was thread two. There's one more thread to go, but first, gratitude. My goodness. There is so much to be sad about in this world at the moment. But oh my goodness. There is so much that I am grateful for. I could go on and on, but I want to tell you a story that has two generous slices of gratitude in it, and one of them is all about you. The first slice, though, goes to my family. We have family Zoom dinners twice a week, every week, and it's lovely. I am so grateful for those dinners. One of the things that's evolved is we have these long, meandering, heartfelt conversations. People talk about all kinds of things. And one night, my sister had been talking about feeling low, and we all listened to her very well, and it was very sweet. And then as as it all changed, my nephew threw in a comment, and he said, Hey, Tom, you know, if you're ever feeling low, you could just go read the reviews for your podcast on iTunes. And everybody laughed, and he said, No, you guys, have you ever heard these? And he read a few. And that's where I just get my second piece of gratitude, which is to all of you, all the amazingly kind and encouraging things you have written. Thank you so much. Thanks. This month in iTunes, reviews came from Kat Mal 17 from New Zealand and from Oscar Yuxel in the United Kingdom. Thank you both. The third and final thread. When I was trying to figure out how to explain this, the words that occurred to me were being out of joint. This is a phrase when I was growing up, I heard often my parents would say that so-and-so was out of joint. What I learned was that if someone was out of joint, they were behaving outside their norm. People were out of joint when there had been a death in the family. People were out of joint if there had been a change in status. You would be out of joint, not yourself. But then I entered the world of Shakespeare, and I found out that being out of joint is actually one of those phrases that is in our everyday speech, like short shrift or neither here nor there. I mean, there's all these phrases that we have in English that are Shakespeare, and being out of joint is one of them. In Shakespeare, Hamlet talks about the time being out of joint, meaning that the world is in chaos. When I thought of this final thread and how to explain it, those were the words that came to me, being out of joint, being in chaos, not yourself. Roddy talked about being annoyed. He was out of joint. And I think many of us are. You might be out of joint if you live with kids. You might be out of joint if you are a person of color. You might be out of joint if you can no longer make a living. 
There are a million reasons at the moment why you might be out of joint, not yourself. If you are out of joint these days, there may be bad behavior with it. Apologize to the people around you. Tell them you're doing your best. What I hope is that you are free of regret or shame about being out of joint. I hope you can have compassion for yourself. These are the times that try men's souls, which was not Shakespeare, that was Thomas Paine. There are many other threads in this episode, many other than the three that I've talked about. If you like browsing through content, you can dive into the archives. The archives have categories, Three categories you might look into connected to this one are leading teams, managing yourself, and communication skills. Five very different episodes that I think all connect to this episode's are boundaries, connecting over video, don't take anything personally, leadership behavior in meetings, and taming meetings. Everything I just talked about is available to you, free, no registration. Just hop in, help yourself. It's all on the Essential Communications website. It's EssentialCom.com. It's EssentialCom with two Ms.com. Stay curious, everyone, and stay healthy. Okay, that's it from me. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.